Anyway, back to where we are. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, Jesus, what this chapter is about is miracles um, and their purpose and how they're happening. What this chapter is really about is uh, the verification of Jesus' ministry through miracles, the validation of who he says he is, and a lesson on faith. Because in almost every one of these, he says to them, your faith is what mattered here. And what is faith but believing God? Right. Believing what God can do and said he would do. So we're picking back up. Uh, this is, the, we left off on verse 6, which is the paralytic, I believe that's where I left off, let me make sure. Yep. Um, that they dropped on, that his friend, the uh, took him up on the roof and dropped him down in the middle of all those people because they couldn't get in. Now, give you an idea how many people are uh, gathered around that house that they can't get in to see Jesus. I mean, uh, you know, what are we talking, like a thousand people? I mean, it's not like this is a metropolis. I mean, you know, right. this is the north. I mean, anyway, just about anybody who could be there was there, uh, I guess is the best way to put it. And uh, the amazing thing, and I think the point I made last time was, it's not just the faith of the paralytic, because he really couldn't do anything. It was the faith of his friends. You know, this is why we pray for people. This is why we lift people up to God in the name of Jesus Christ. Because that's what they did. They, they didn't lift them up, they dropped them down in the name of, for, for the name of Jesus Christ. And he healed them based on faith. Uh, not just his faith, the faith of those people on the roof. It matters. Yeah. It always did. That's why we're told to do it, you know. Uh, verse 6, but so that you, uh, so they questioned. Jesus made the statement uh, about the sins being forgiven. Uh, when he says to him, uh, in verse 4, I believe it is, let me find it. No, up, up further, verse 3. Jesus made a statement uh Verse 2, yeah. Okay. And they brought him a paralytic laying on a bed, seeing their faith. Uh, by the way, it says their faith, not the paralytics, just him, but their faith. Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, that was a big statement. I mean, that's a, a statement that rocks the ages. Uh, so... The Pharisees who are just standing around watching all this, trying to some who are honestly trying to figure out who is Jesus, what's he doing. You, know, you would think that people whose whole life was to be prepared for the Messiah would recognize him when he came, but they didn't. And which is a lesson to us when we talk about end times and all these other things that God's going to do, and we're saying it's that or it's this or that. I wonder when he actually does these things, are we actually going to notice it? Are we gonna, you know, is are we gonna catch it? But I mean, there are some who are very genuine, and of course, there are others who are just protecting themselves, and they see him as a threat to their authority. And so, in one of those instances where Jesus always knows, there's multiple times in Scripture where he answers what people are thinking, <laughs> knowing what they're thinking. He turns to them and says, you know, does this bother you that I say this? And he basically says. Uh, you know, they're saying he's a blaspheming, saying that you're, who are you to say his sins are forgiven? And Jesus basically, knowing what they're thinking, says this, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, which I just did. 
he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. In other words, I'm going to prove it, which goes along with what I have been saying time and time again for years. These miracles prove who Jesus is. If you're wondering why you're not seeing them now, because Jesus isn't here right now. Um, we have the word of God. He, yes, God heals, but in a full different way for a different reason. But all these things were to prove who Jesus was. Because what Jesus just said before this, what's easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or for me to heal this man? And so he heals the man. And he goes, <laughs> basically, he looks at them and goes, nah. <laughs> and there's not much they can do. I mean, he's saying this in front of everybody to the religious leaders, which doesn't endear him to them, but I don't. he doesn't care because they're the problem. Uh yeah. Jesus acknowledges their objection, then proves them that they're wrong. I think he hopes that they see that they're wrong. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Undoubtedly. Because he loves them. Yeah. Well, and he also needs to have the people know for sure that what these people have been telling you is wrong. Remember the Sermon on the Mountain? It was basically, Jesus shows up, gives his first sermon since the end of the Old Testament, God speaking to his people. And he basically goes, dun, 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 dun. they're wrong about this, they're wrong about that, they're wrong about this. This is the kingdom of God. And he names one after another where the people who were teaching them were wrong. Uh, I don't think they forgot that. And I don't think the people forgot it either. Proven by his power to heal, a power only God has. Uh, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, as Jesus leaves the earth, the Jesus came up to them and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Uh, all uh, There is no parameter on that where it stops. All authority. All things are under my control. Everything. It's all mine. Uh, especially the power to forgive sins. Yes, I have that authority. It's been given to me. Um, well, he earned it. Uh, undoubtedly. John 20, 21 through 23. Jesus extends the authority to forgive to us. And man, you, you know I've said this before, guys. Of all the powerful things that God has given his people to do. You know, the people in churches celebrate the, the power to heal, to cast out demons, to create wealth, all these things. They, those things mean nothing compared to the power to forgive somebody. Because that's forever. You know, if, you, if somebody gets healed... They can go out and break their leg again, and they will die. Yeah. It's like Lazarus. He's die. Lazarus died again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lazarus got caught out and said, what? <laughs> um, but this power for us to forgive is just like what he just did. Man, that, that is awesome power, and we don't exercise it. It's free. It's sitting right there. You could do it every single day. And I don't exercise it because I don't want to. Because I don't want to forgive somebody at that point in time. I may say the words, but, but in, in my heart, I just, you know, I forgive you. I hope he strikes you dead. You know, that, that sort of stuff. I hope something bad happens to you. You know, you deserve it. <laughs> John 20, 21 through 23. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So I am sending you to do what God sent me to do. That is quite the responsibility. But 
he says, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So before Pentecost, when it fell on the church, this happens to the disciples. It's, it's an interesting point. The, when Pentecost, it fell on the believers. Well, somebody needed to lead, the, lead those believers. Somebody needed to be scripture before scripture. It was these guys. And when he told them, I'm sending you to do what God sent me to do. What does he do? He gives them the spirit. He says, but I'm not just sending you as you. The, the, what did he, what he called the helper. Yeah. You know, well, that's a literal term. He's going to help you be like me. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then it says, if you forgive sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Wow. Now, some would claim that's just the 12. Uh, absolutely not. Um, that is our birthright in Jesus. It's not a birthright. It's a birth responsibility. It's a power that he grants to anyone that's his sheep. It is being like Christ. Father, forgive them. They know not what they... The last words as he leaves the earth. Stephen's words as he's being stoned. Proof of... Stephen did this. You know what I mean? As they were killing him with giant rocks. He did this. Paul was there. And Paul was standing right there chucking rocks. You know? Forgiveness of sins is the greatest power Jesus gave us. We do not forgive the sin remains for God to forgive if they repent. But we have the power for them not to have to answer to that sin before God. Uh, I will say it again. One of my mother's last words as she left this world was a prayer that if anyone had offended her, sinned against her, if, had, if God held anything against anyone who had done anything to her, forgive them. Don't hold it against them. What a way to go. You know, just absolutely being like Christ. Anyway, this is all about Jesus saying your sins are forgiven. That's what we're on. Matthew eleven twenty through 24, about miracles and expectation. Then he began denouncing the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Now, this is only two chapters away. Woe to you, uh, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the miracles that occurred in Tyre and Siren, which occurred in you, They've repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. See, what we think in our minds about judgment, God knows. God knows. And you, Capernaum. That's where all this stuff is happening. Now, by now, you should know that Capernaum is Jesus' home port. I mean, that's where he's doing everything out of. Everything's being done there. All these miracles are occurring there. They've seen more than anybody has seen. There isn't a place where more miracles have been seen than Capernaum. Will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom. And of course they love to, don't we all, love yeah. to put the, look what God did to Sodom, you know. Which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Jesus is basically saying, if I just showed up there and did some of these things, they'd all repented. It would still be there. And it would never have been destroyed. Nevertheless, I say to you, it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. In that line is a lot of theology about judgment, about um, levels of judgment. Uh, wow, you could preach on this for months. 
uh, just on that sentence. But what he's saying is, you know, now you know what God judges, not what we see. God knows. He knows everybody's heart. He judges intention. He knows. He knows what Sodom would have done. Yeah. Anyway. So, he tells the guy, your sins are forgiven. Uh, get up and go. And then it says in verse 7, and he got up and went home. Uh, once again, I remind you, uh, you all know what atrophy is. Uh, I believe that's the term for when you don't use muscle, it doesn't work anymore. I don't know how long this guy had been paralyzed, but if you've been paralyzed for any sort of time, you're not standing up and walking home. It just ain't happening. It's just like the sea calming instantly. You know, when, when he's... Yeah, no muscle there's no, there's yeah. nothing there. There's no tone. There's not enough to support you. Uh, well, I mean, if you're in a, in a cast or something, at the end of that period of time, there's rehab that you have to go through. Yep, just to build your muscle back up. And that's just for that period of time. I don't know how long this guy had been paralyzed, but anyway, him getting up and walking is quite a miracle in and of Picking itself. Up his stretcher. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he carries his stretcher away. You know, he, he not only does it, all the strength is. I mean, when God heals, he heals. Let's put it that way. The get up and go home part of this miracle shouldn't be overlooked. If he had been paralyzed for any amount of time, atrophy would have set in, and he wouldn't have the muscle and strength to stand, let alone walk, let alone carry. Uh, he didn't need any physical therapy or occupational therapy. He was healed. Um, verse 8 says, But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So think of the two things that are happening here. Three things. First, the guy's healed, uh, and Jesus gives a message with the healing. And the whole part of the healing, why they, that guy was dropped down, why he was healed, is so Jesus could utter the words, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. Because him uttering those words is huge. Um, and then he proves it. And there are three reactions. There's the reaction of the guy that was paralyzed and his friends who were like, woohoo! And then there's the reaction of the scribes and Pharisees who are like thinking he's like some sort of head demon or something. They're trying to find fault in this. And honestly, if you... I mean, we all know who Jesus is right now. I mean, we... We're inundated with this from birth. Uh, these guys have to honestly figure out, is this guy the Messiah? And he keeps proving it time and time again, especially in Capernaum, where he just keeps proving it over and over and over again. The crowd's reaction is, wow! It says, but the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, which is what every Jew should have been doing. The right answer is glorify God. A man was just healed. Where's the downside to this? Yeah. You know, if he would have made someone paralyzed that wasn't, then okay, I get it. Struck him down uh, yeah, I struck him down dead. <laughs> I, I get it. But uh, uh, it says, and glorified God who had given such authority to men. So people were, the people understood that authority is God's. What's happening? If you remember the blind man on the road to Jerusalem, the the one of the right before Lazarus, uh, the the last guy, uh, he heals him, and it says, "Why was he there? You know, why was why was he blind? Was he you know why was he born blind? It was his parents' sin." And Jesus basically said, "No, nah, he he was born blind so that he could be here on the side of this road as I walk into Jerusalem, and I would heal him." 
and <laughs> and proclaim the kingdom before you nail me to a cross. You know what I mean? Uh, awestruck, by the way, the the Greek word is uh, phobio. Uh, to put into flight, to terrify, to frighten. Uh, people were. Yes, they were awestruck. What that awestruck means is they were scared. And yet, every time God does something amazing in Scripture, we always think about, oh, that's nice. No, man, people drop to the ground and tremble. I mean, when, when God shows up and does stuff. It's like when he calmed, calmed the storm on the, in the gallery. Yeah, they, they all just, yeah. <laughs> Who is yeah. this guy? <laughs> yeah, you're, it's hard to take in the moment when you're, you you got to go home and change your gutchies. You know what I mean? Because, right. yeah. Fear and giving glory to God are often linked in Scripture. The crowd was in the midst of a spiritual revival, and they understood the significance of Jesus' authority, that it came directly from God. This is big stuff. The crowd is getting it. The Pharisees are not. They're... They don't yeah. want to get it. Uh, no, they don't. They don't want him to be. They're ruining his, their lifestyle. Well, be, right. well, number one, they had in their mind what Jesus would be what the Messiah would be. He wasn't anything they thought he would be. Everybody thought he was going to come and deliver them from the Romans. That's what everybody wanted the Messiah to be. Are we not still doing that? Are we not still saying God's on our side to deliver us from those mean liberals or those woke <laughs> persons or the other way around right. from, you know, the, uh, I don't know what you call the right-wing nut jobs, but anyway... Yeah, right-wing nut jobs. Uh, but everybody's claiming Jesus is on our side and that he's blown past that politics like it's not even there. You know what I mean? It's incidental. Uh, uh, nothing new under the sun. We've been doing this forever, and we're going to keep doing it. Anyway. My mom used to say that every side in the war was praying for sure. a victory. And yeah, God's God on our with, side. Yeah, God be with us. All these issues, you go into one church and they're, they're praying to God. To, you know, Lord, do what we're asking you to do, and down the down the road, they're in a church praying the exact opposite, and Jesus is like, you know, listen to me, listen to what I'm saying. They didn't recognize it that it was spiritual. It was spiritual. It wasn't about wealth, health, or politics, or any of these things. I don't know how to say this. It's incidental in the eternal plan. Yes, we're citizens. We have an obligation to do the best thing the best way we can. Uh, be smart. Know what you could know. Vote your conscience. If you want to protest, go protest. But don't ever link it to the kingdom. Uh, you know why we would expect goats to respond to our beliefs in a political setting astounds me. Astounds me. Uh, you know. Anyway, but that's what's happening. Um. It is very hard for them because it's not what they wanted Jesus to be. They wanted something else. And Jesus is very... Well, he gives them three and a half years to figure it out. That's not what I'm doing here. Three and a half years, he never makes... He doesn't make any statements. He doesn't make anything that would even cause them to rally around him. It's when they tried to come and make him the king, he went away. He walked away. He said, no, it ain't happening, man. You... That's not what I'm here for. I could do that anytime I want. Right. You know, I don't need you to make me the king. But that's not what I'm here for. And we have to remember that. It's not what we're here for. To bring God to this 
nasty nation through our politics. Forget it. Get rid of the Roman Empire. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. The the problem is the liberals. The problem is the conservatives. No, the problem's me. The problem's you. And that needs to be changed by Jesus Christ. You know, anyway. As Jesus went from there, and this is kind of neat. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Okay, this is anywhere Jesus goes, there's a crowd. It's, it's very unlikely that Jesus is just walking with the 12 and happens to come across. And everybody knows who Matthew is. He sort of sits there in a booth, and you have to come to him to pay the taxes. And he's a thief. And, well, he's a tax collector. The, the word tax collector and thief were synonymous. Uh, and he says to him, follow me. And Matthew, who had actually a very good-paying job, uh, uh, he was he was a rich man. Uh, Matthew, also called Levi, means a gift from Yahweh. His booth, his office, would have been on the main highway that ran from Damascus to Capernaum, then westward to the coastal road that led all the way to Egypt. He is. It's like being out there where the turnpike meets uh, the parkway. <laughs> you know, right there at that Monroeville, at that Monroeville interchange. And he's the, the one toll booth. And you can't pass him. You want to go anywhere, you have to be on these roads. It's not like there are secondary roads you could take. Uh, these were the trade routes. They were well established. Everybody, That's how you traveled. You went anywhere else, they weren't safe. These ones were protected. <coughs> but if you went with your goods off these roads, uh, it wasn't good for you. Because the, the the Romans weren't there protecting you then, you know, from robbers and thieves. So you had to walk on these roads, and uh, that's right where Matthew was. Uh, that ran okay. His job was to collect a tax, uh, transportation tax, a toll, as people transported their goods north and south. In other words, what you owned, what you had, just as trucks have to pay on the turnpike. He determined the value of the goods being transported. Hence, he was suspected of lining his own pockets. So he had the power to collect, and he had the power to determine how much. It was all on him. So I could say to Mark, "Oh, yeah, that uh, you know these grass clippings you're carrying—that's—they're uh, worth forty dollars. When they're really worth twenty. So you give me forty, I keep twenty. I give twenty to the Romans, which was common practice, I guess." People assumed they did it. And I'm not saying he did or he didn't, but I will go ahead and assume it. Uh, tax collectors were generally despised by the Jews. Well, first off, they generally collected taxes for the Romans. It, they, were, they were an agent of Rome. Uh, it is, uh, it, now, when they considered that they thought the Messiah was going to come and deliver them from the Romans, the fact that Jesus stops and even talks to him, who nobody would even talk to, and says, follow me, uh, was quite a shock to everybody, and I'm sure it made them reevaluate what they were thinking Jesus was here to do. Uh, it was also possible that he collected such a tax uh, for goods being ferried across the Sea of Galilee. Hmm. Uh, he could have been the dude that handled both the road travel. In other words, if you were moving uh, goods, you had to pay a tax to do it, either by boat, by donkey, by cart, by whatever. Mark and Luke stated that Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, 
and the Apostle James, the, le the less, is also listed as a son of Alphaeus. This is interesting, by the way. Yeah, it is. That's if if this is the same man and the two were brothers or half brothers, then there were a close relationship between Matthew's family and Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, Mark and Matthew both stated that the mother of James was at the crucifixion. That James, they. One of Matthew's relatives may have been traveling with the group and a friend to Mary. It's just an interesting thought. It may have been that Matthew was known through the family. Right. Not that that matters, but anyway. But it's possible that they were simply two different men named Alpheus. You know, if you assume that it's the same Alpheus that was the dad of both those people, then it was true. But if there's like two Bobs, like yeah, two Alpheuses, right. yeah. then there is no connection. But it's worth just interesting. <laughs> Legend says the uh, the latter uh, Matthew traveled to Egypt, where that later Matthew traveled to Egypt, where he knew uh, Candace the eunuch from Acts eight twenty seven, and that he was martyred there. Uh, this is interesting. It's just interesting. There's no proof in scripture, but it was generally believed that uh, the eunuch who uh, was ministered to, to in 827 and accepted the Lord and was baptized, you know, he ended up hooking up with Matthew in Egypt, this dude. And uh, they were quite a force, and that Matthew was martyred in Egypt. From Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is not scripture, but interesting, the scene of his labors was uh, Peritha and Ethiopia and which later country he suffered martyrdom being slain with a halberd in the city of uh, Nabahad in 60 AD. Acts 1.13 is the last time that Matthew is mentioned. Uh, I just thought I'd bring it up. He, he's not uh, one of the guys that uh, gets a lot of press, uh, though he did write a spectacular gospel. Uh, which he should because he's the tax collector. He's he the dude. He was educated. Guy could read, write, add, subtract. Uh, yeah, um, he was the guy. Matthew's act of faith, leaving his high-paying job simply because Jesus walked by and told him to follow him, is notable. Jesus then follows Matthew to his house. It would be like visiting the house of a loan shark today, or going to a mafia house. Yeah. Honestly, it'd be like you know, hey, you know, make him an offer he can't refuse. You know that sort of thing. Uh, you know, he sleeps with the fishes kind of people, uh, and. This is out in public. Everybody knows where Matthew is. Everybody knows wh who he is. And wow, what a move. I mean, when you're thinking this guy comes to deliver us from the Romans and he's going to the house of a Roman tax collector, you, you could see why people would say, wait a minute. And being there with his associates. Oh, oh, sure. <laughs> and everybody that Matthew knows, and, you know, he's a made man. So, yeah. you know, made by the Romans. Why are you? Consorting with sinners. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what he did. <laughs> Jesus. And he keeps doing this to prove to them, it's why I came. Yeah. I came to seek and save the lost. Right. You know. Then it happened that as Jesus reclining the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> They're linked together. Mm -hmm. Tax collectors and sinners. It's like saying um, Presbyterians and sinners. <laughs> <laughs> came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, I have no ill will towards Presbyterians. I just said that. Uh, when it says sinners, it denotes people who were openly living with sin. Uh, they weren't trying to hide it. They weren't trying to keep the Jewish law. They gave up. You know, they, they're just living their life outside of the Jewish law. And 
that was a big thing for to sit down at a meal and share. Absolutely, to be in their house. Yeah, to share food. With to them. talk yeah, to them. Yeah. You weren't even allowed to talk to them, but to talk to them, tell them to follow him, then to go into his house, and then to have others just like him come in the house. This is huge, groundbreaking stuff. Yeah. This is not what they they thought the Messiah would come and kill these people, yeah. strike them dead with vengeance. Well, what what did he say? Do you want us to call down fire? <laughs> you know, I mean, they were looking for fire. And you've been with me so long, and you still yeah. don't get Come it. on, guys. <laughs> but, I mean, if Jesus' own disciples didn't get it, uh, these people, yeah, they're, they're really confused. Of course, this tells us one thing. All of us are sinners. Uh, we, we play we're not. We pretend we're not. Because I'm better than someone else, mm. I'm not a sinner. It's never been that way. It's the great lie. These people just embraced it and stopped trying to hide it. That's who they were. Uh, Luke's account is kind of cool. And uh, let me see if I can ignore my. Yeah, it's wow! Am I good at this? Three seconds left. <laughs> Snooze. We'll, we'll turn that off. It's annoying. Uh, Luke's account of the same thing. After he went out, noticed a tax collector named Levi, which is Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, "Follow me." And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. He left his booth, his Roman booth. He just closed up shop. I don't know how he let the Romans know I'm not there anymore. Because nobody's there collecting taxes. I'm sure the Romans ain't happy with this. And anyway. And he does that with everybody. The fishermen, everybody. Yep. They just dropped everything. Drop it. Yeah. Yep. And Levi gave a big reception. What do you do with that example? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I just preached about this Sunday. Uh, you know, that's what I said about, remember Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah. Uh, where, you know, when we, when we get saved, we say, Lord, I give you my life. You're my Lord. We make those claims. Whatever you, I give you everything. When Ananias and Sapphira came, they held back. And they didn't have to, they, but they said they did, but they didn't. They lied. And uh, Paul says to him, or was it Peter? I don't remember. But he says to him, why did you why has satan caused you to lie to god in other words it's not satan's fault why did you let it happen of course satan's going to do that right it's a given so the point is there's always things we don't want to give to god there's always whatever you hold back uh is going to have to be given and god won't accept anything else when you say you're my lord and i give you my life he believes you Follow me. Amen. See and, and the and the and the if you refuse, and this can go even into theology, and that's the point I was making, that there's part of theologies that you don't want to accept because you don't like them, uh, because they're not inclusive enough for you, or they're not whatever it is, and you you hold that behind you. I won't accept what you said in your word. I'm I'm not going to give that to you, Lord. Well, we all get carried out if we refuse to do that one by one. Um, anyway, back to where we were. Uh, he gave a big reception in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were crying at the table with him. The tax collectors only had one group of friends, and that was the other tax collectors. Nobody else even talked to them. So they all showed up, man. It's like, like yeah, so, somebody <laughs> wants to talk to us? And uh, so 
the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, so they don't grumble to Jesus, they go to, to the disciples. So why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answers the question that was given to the disciples. It's not, is it not those who are, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. And they said to him, the disciples of John often fast and pray and offer prayer. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, you cannot make attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with him, can you? At the bachelor's party. Uh, but the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Uh, it's also notable that Jesus makes that note. Hey, no matter what I do, you, you complain about it. You don't like it if we play wedding. You don't like it if we play funeral. You complain about it no matter what. So, you know, I don't, I don't really care anymore. When, when the Back to 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why is your teacher... This is Matthew's uh, edition now, not Luke's anymore. Why is your teacher eating in, uh, with tax collectors and sinners? And, oh, you know what, we'll leave there. It's, it's over. Uh, we'll pick up on 11. Uh, that's long enough because I'm starting to forget that, that the buzzer already rang and I'm, <laughs> I'm on a roll um, so we'll pick up on 11 in September I'm not going to know the answer for three months <laughs> well, study study. show yourself approved well we read the math, the answer in Luke but you know yeah. it may be a different answer in Matthew yeah. there you go. A, more comp <laughs> a more comprehensive answer Matthew at the table so that's part of my lines <laughs> Uh, and Matthew at the table is, uh, yeah, powerful stuff. And like I said, guys, man, if you get a chance to watch that, uh, the Chosen, that really brings this to life. It really does. Um, it's free. It's on almost every streaming service. Uh, the first season um, is on the service. The second season, you have to do something, and then you can download it. And it's still free, but it looked too complicated for me. Um, once it got past two things I have to do, I was like, eh. Um, yeah. But it's can help you. it's really yeah. <laughs> it really is worth watching. It it, it was really well done, and it, it brings this to life. Um, any questions, comments, criticisms, anything like that? Thank you. I had one thing sure, that uh, I thought was interesting and figured I'd share it in case anybody else was wondering. Since Matthew wrote this book and there's a bunch of Matthew before Matthew is introduced, uh, general consensus for everybody who doesn't know is that Matthew liked to put things based on theme rather than timeline. Right. So Matthew was probably called earlier before the Sermon on the Mount and was there for the Sermon on the Mount. but because this is the story of the tax collectors this is where he kind of put his own introduction which i thought was just it's interesting because in uh that uh series the chosen they show you matthew seeing jesus watching what jesus does before jesus calls him even that's their take on it that he sees it going on he keeps going he like he he sees the miracle of the fish being caught to pay his taxes you know and he's like, well, wait a minute. So it's not like Jesus just strolled by and he didn't know who Jesus was. Right. Right. That's so interesting he, point. That's why he asked him to come follow me. He just dropped everything. Yeah, he knew because, who he, he, he knew, knew who was asking him and he had seen things Jesus had done. Right. And thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. I, I should have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly, that's true. 
yeah, because uh, they're saying he's called, and he already wrote things that happened before that. So, yeah, excellent. So, um, anything else? Well, I want to thank you all. It was a, a great season, um, enjoyable. I appreciate you guys so much, and let's pray. Lord, I come before you, and I just uh, thank you for your word. And as always, uh, let your word find a home in our hearts, and let it change us, Lord, that we'll no longer be part of the darkness in this world, but part of your light in this dark, dark, sad place. And Father, I just ask that you watch over my brothers and sisters, make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate. Help them to glorify your name in what they think, what they do, and what they say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.